Welcome to Hort Culture, where a group of extension professionals and plant people talk about the business, production, and joy of planting seeds and helping them grow. Join us as we explore the culture of horticulture. Oh my gosh, we're here, we're back. Welcome to the pod. Uh, I think that might be the first time I've ever sang on the pod, but it's because I am it was. so wow. that was excited. was a strong intro game, Alexis. I am wow. so excited because we got some guests on the pod. I'm real pumped like, about it. You're like the hype man and the MC. Like all <laughs> rolled into one. You're like your own entrance song. I, I've told you before, this is basically my podcast. Welcome to it. Oh. Dang. <laughs> I'm just happy to be here. I I'm happy to stand a, in the sun. I think of myself as a regular guest. <laughs> regular guest. So we have we have some we have some uh, some gals on the pod today, which is which is nice because I won't get drowned out by these bald bald boys plus Ray. Excuse so. me. <laughs> I'm a plus one always. <laughs> it's all right. I mean, you go, do you want to be a bald boy? There's a few things you have to do first. Got some well, not o- not only are they not they they're like the inverse of bald boys because they have amazing hair and they're not boys. <laughs> they're not, bald, not in danger of becoming bald anytime. Incredible hair, incredible. Wish you all could see it. Kind of glad that you can't because just this is more of a a fun experience for us. <laughs> We're gatekeeping the uh, good hair experience. Well, who are they? Who, who is it that's there? This is Kathy and Sarah. Uh, we are reporting from Aunt Begonia's, um, which is our shared studio space in Lexington. Yes, we've got. And so you guys are two different businesses, but you share a floral space. Is that correct? Yes. Um, we both have our own independent uh, wedding and event floral design businesses um, and um, just luckily enough, we found each other and found this space and moved in together, and it has been so great and so fun for both of us. Yeah, yeah. So we we've been in this studio space for a year and a half. We mm-hmm. we moved in here in November of two thousand and twenty one, um, and we really didn't know each other at all. Uh, (laughs) beautiful partnership trial by fire we had just kind of been like girl crushing on each other on instagram for a little bit and and then you know we had somehow chatted about like our dream studio one day and then i found this place for rent on facebook marketplace of all places (laughs) And as I found it, I was like, hey, Kathy, you remember that studio? (laughs) We can do this. (laughs) And you guys are really awesome. You've you've made it your own. I wish wish people on the pod could see it. But right now, right behind them is this beautiful floral tapestry. And they're just like looking super cool and creative and beautiful. So, Kathy, you own ephemeral florals. And Sarah, you own drury florals. And... We are excited to have them here today because we are talking and fi- kind of finishing up our celebration of Kentucky Cut Flower Month. And as they said, they are uh, wedding and event designers. And uh, we are having we have them today because they love to use local product. And that's something, you know, we talked with Kayla from Kentucky Flower Market a couple episodes ago. So if you haven't checked out that, you know, check it out. And 
sort of talking about how she works with flower farmers to aggregate and to get things to florists. And now we're taking it kind of that next step of the people who are actually buying that product and using it uh, in, in designs. And so and you know, like they're really like awesome people. So, and we'll we'll tell you how to go follow their their journey and all their beautiful things here at the end. But I'm excited. So, tell me, both of you, tell me kind of how you got involved in this world of floristry and using local, but just floristry in general. Yeah. So, I am in my seventh year of floristry right now. About seven years ago, I was working in embroidery um, and drapery <laughs> design, and I really wasn't liking it. And and I remember just being like super frustrated. And I just happened to see that Mickler's florist was hiring. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, "That's the job I want, right there." Like, I want to be a florist. I want to work in a flower shop. Like, I want to work with plants. That's what I want. And so I kind of like devised a plan to go in there and like I met up with a friend that previously worked there and they helped me talk to the owners and so I got a job and I started out delivery driving at first and I guess they realized that I was somewhat creative so I had the opportunity to start learning to design and that just kind of escalated uh, <laughs> and so I went from like designing uh, everyday arrangements to then I became a wedding designer and then I became a manager. And after four years of working there, it just kind of reached a point where it was like, you know, I love floristry, but I think that I want to do it the way that I want to do it. Um, and I only want to mm -hmm. do the things I want to do and I don't want to do the things I don't want to do anymore. And so it just felt more aligned mm -hmm. for me to take that leap of faith and start my business and it was pretty terrifying, but thankfully I have gained traction and, and I've had a really successful first few years of business. So I'm now in my third year of being a business owner and Drury Floral is, is doing well. I'm booking weddings and, and making some cool stuff. And I'm really honored that I can say that. Can can you say uh, what, what did flowers offer that the embroidery and drapery didn't or, or what do you think was the thing that clicked more with the flower side well so my entire life i've always been creative and i have the type of personality that i need to be doing something with my hands and i need like i have this urge to want to create but i felt really lost for a long time because i would try all these different avenues of creativity and just none of it quite felt right like it you know, I was like a lost artist who couldn't find their media for a really long time and then it was like the moment I found flowers I was like oh wow this is it like this is what I was looking for this whole time um and it it actually makes like it feels aligned because my grandmother was a really passionate gardener and she actually grew roses professionally like would enter them in tournaments to grow them and so like this was this huge thing and um and my dad is the same way like my dad can grow trees like nobody's business he's <laughs> dad has probably planted two thousand trees on our farm that we have um in this really large effort to reforest it and so 
I think that knack for flowers and working with Botanica is something that is innately inside of me, but it just took a long time to, to find mm. that. Hmm. But you, Kathy? Well, um, yeah, I've been a florist for maybe like, I don't know. This sounds not real, but I think it's been like eight or nine years. Um, I don't know how that's right because I feel like I'm much younger than to have been doing something professionally for that long. I don't know. Have you seen that meme that's like wondering how people who were born in 2003, 2000 are turning 23 when I was born in 91 and I'm still Lexus, that's too much. (laughs) Stop. Stop now. That's how I feel. Sorry. Um, But so Alexis and I have known each other for a while because we went to college together. And we need to talk later, by the way. We need to talk later. No, you cannot. There's some Alexis college stories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought Alexis was amazing, of course, as soon as I met her. So. But anyway, yeah, I started college and I had no clue what I wanted to do. I was really just like, I'll just go take some random classes and try to figure it out. And when I, between college and between high school and college, I met my partner um, and his mom owned a Kentucky native plant nursery. I didn't really know anything about plants, but I loved going there. It was so beautiful, literally the most beautiful place. I have it very like romanticized and idealized in my (laughs) my mind. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was an amazing place. Um, His mom taught me so much about plants. I didn't know the names of anything. I didn't know how to take care of a plant. And so I learned so much um, just being like submerged in this world um, over the summers, like my last couple years of high school and the beginning of college. And then I think I was like a freshman and I saw this class um, called like Agriculture 103 or Plants and People, something like that. I don't Mm -hmm. remember the name of the class, Um, but I took this class and Immediately loved it. I thought it was so cool. I didn't know anything about agriculture or horticulture. I didn't even know the word horticulture, honestly. Most don't. (laughs) Yeah, So this was completely new to me, but I was so excited about it. I wish I could remember the professor that taught it, but I don't remember now. But I went to talk to my advisor, and I was telling him I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I really liked this class, and I wanted to learn more. Um, and so he suggested that I go into horticulture as my major because I hadn't declared anything and I didn't have any direction at that point. And every single class I took, I was just so interested and so excited about every single thing. Like every topic that I learned about was my new favorite thing. I really loved everything plant production and uh, propagation and pathology and um, entomology were probably my top favorites. Um, I thought they were really cool and fun. And through college, I was still working at the nursery 
And I think I took um, Ruth's class, Floral Design. And from there, I hadn't ever designed any flowers before, but that was my truly an intro introduction um, for me. And from there, I just like gained a little bit of confidence, I guess. And I saw that Micklers was hiring. I went to him. I showed him some random designs that I had made in class and like made for my aunt who also loves flowers. And um, luckily he hired me and I worked there for a couple years, um, both in the florist and the greenhouse. Loved it. Um, uh, and then as soon as college was over, when I graduated, I had learned so much about um, plant production, but I had never really seen it. Um, and for my capstone, we are supposed to shadow a farm. And so I cold called Aaron from Bel Air Bloom. And I hey, I think I left a voicemail, which was probably really awkward because I'm terrible at leaving voicemails. But I was like, hey, do you want some free labor? I need to do this for my capstone. And I just want to come and see your place. So I went out there. And it was amazing. They are so funny. It couldn't have been a better like intro to uh, seeing flower farming. And I was just really interested in the production. I had been working at this traditional shop. They did buy some at the time that I was working there. They bought some local flowers, um, but most of it was from the wholesaler imported and everything like that. Um, at the end of college, I also learned uh, things about like the pesticides, how much of um, U.S. flowers are imported and, um, you know, all the icky stuff that they do to to bring those flowers staying fresh all the way to Kentucky. And that's when I decided, like, I wanted to dive deeper into um, local farming, flower farming um, and plant production. So I just kept bothering Anna and Aaron and just like kept coming back and they kept having me and we just had so much fun. And I really gained an appreciation for how hard they work, how much, how many plants they could fit into such a small space. I think at the time they were only using like less than two acres and there would just be so many flowers and so many bugs and critters. Like every single day I would just, Aaron gives me, a hard time for this now, but every single day I would just be like, Oh my God, you have to come see this. It's like a little frog or something <laughs> losing my mind. And he'd be like, yeah, yeah. Like let's cut the flowers. Cut this. Yeah. <laughs> Go pick something. Yeah. And I was like having a mini photo shoot over there. <laughs> but, Instagram worthy. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, I have to Instagram everything. <laughs> so it was a really great experience. I'm so lucky to have found them and to become friends with them. And of course I like became better friends with Alexis and all my other flower farming friends. And I just appreciate them. I know they work super hard and it's hot and sweaty and dirty and not glamorous. Like Instagram makes it seem, <laughs> but it's really fun. And uh, so I worked with Bel Air for a couple of years um, and people just kept asking them over and over if they would do their wedding flowers. And Anna was like, nah, 
she is not interested. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, well, I mean, I think I could do that. <laughs> so, the first wedding I ever did was for my cousin. And I didn't, I thought that I knew what I was doing. I did a pretty good job, honestly. <laughs> uh, it was like, not, not to brag, but I did a good job. Yeah, Killed it. Pretty good. <laughs> Uh, I'm still pretty proud of that uh, wedding. Um, not every, you know, not every one was perfect looking back, but um, I definitely feel like it gave me the confidence. That first one, you know, kind of doing that one um, gave me the confidence to start my own business. And I really, I wasn't sure about it. I was really scared to start my own business. I talked about it with my family and all my friends over and over. And then one day, I think it was right before my birthday in May of 2018, I think. Um, and I went to a tarot reader in verse, or in Frankfurt. And she could just, she immediately was like, something, you really want to do something, but something's holding you back. And that thing is you. Um, and I was like, damn it. She nailed it. <laughs> Uh, she, <laughs> she knew it. <laughs> I'm the problem. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, it was so funny, but do do you remember the draw by chance? Like the cards that were drawn? It wasn't a traditional tarot deck. It was like a special deck, one of her decks, yeah. an oracle card or something like that. Um, I don't remember exactly, but there was like it's not card. Uno, Brett. It's not Uno. Yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> Um, there was a girl on the on the card that looked like me with like brown curly hair um, and someone in the background that looked like my partner with like black hair. And so I was like, shit, this is really. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to happen. It's got to yeah. happen. Um, and so that day I went home and like started filing the paperwork to become my own business. That's the scary part, isn't it? You know, you guys have talked about like the business of things. I know you you guys are obviously, obviously passionate uh, about, you know, what you do, but it uh, we hear that a lot. It's the, the aspect of going that next step to make something into a business. We've talked about that on different podcasts, but yeah, that's, that's interesting. I'm afraid the IRS like, is going to come for me. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, just, I gave him your cell phone, Alexis, that we call him. <laughs> The government is really terrifying if you're a creative, like, yeah. because <laughs> well, it's hard to balance that creative side, but then mm -hmm. that creative side too. And a lot of times when you're a creative, like I am speaking purely for myself when mm -hmm. I say this, I can be a little bit of a nut job sometimes because I'm so focused in whatever I'm creating that like maybe, yeah. you know, there's some other important detail of my day that I might be leaving out because I'm so focused. So trying to balance, like making sure that you are handling everything logistically and admin, administratively, like mm -hmm. proper versus being able to let yourself be creative and create beauty um, and a beautiful product as well. It's it's a hard dance. I agree. Are, are there nuts and bolts components of being a florist that come to mind that that you were not expecting or didn't realize were such a big part of the of the job? I would say mm -hmm. for me, sales is honestly something that is really challenging. Well, and so just because when you think that you're a wedding florist, 
you think of creating beautiful weddings and arrangements and working with clients, but at the end of the day, in order to get that, that bid or that event, you're selling yourself and you're selling your business. And for some reason, it took me a minute to connect those two dots that I, you know, that my job actually is a large chunk of sales in order to have the opportunity to work with these clients and trying to refine my ability as as a saleswoman and my process for my clients to make it as smooth and streamlined, but also in as enticing as possible. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, That's, there's That's a big much. set of skills on mm-hmm. both ends. I mean, sometimes it sounds almost like uh, not opposite ends of the spectrum, but there's like the IRS end of the spectrum and then the beautiful <laughs> color palettes on the other end of the spectrum. Well, it boggles my mind that people have such a wide variety of passions and skills and make all that work and that mishmash of, you know, spectrum of things. Yeah. Do cool. you, do you all feel, and Alexis, feel free to uh, tell me to stop and I'll say no. <laughs> I'm going to keep asking questions. Do you, do you all feel that you have, you, you tend to attract or mm. yeah, attract, attract clients or, or customers who are different from like the normie middle of the, like, is there a particular type of customer that he, that tends to come to you and a particular type of customer that you target in that sales and marketing conversation? Uh, definitely. Yes. I tend to attract more of the wild, flowery, hippie, boho, mm. you know, natural garden, bride seeking that kind of vibe, um, which is great because those, those folks tend to be more laid back, which I love and goes really well with how <laughs> I do my business. Um, typically since I buy so much local stuff, I'm not promising them specific things. They can of course request, uh, and I'll keep that in mind, but you know, there's some things like anemones when those go out of season, I don't know exactly the date that's going to happen for our local growers. So if people really love those, um, that's awesome. If I can get them great, but usually I'm not like. Yes, I will absolutely get these for you. Typically, I'm just like, all over my proposals that I send out is locally and seasonally available flowers in their color palette. Um, So it's so nice for me when I have clients that really trust me that I'm going to get them really beautiful, really fresh, best in stock, things that were picked that week or a day before instead of people that kind of want to micromanage the floral process and really need specific varieties and want to know ahead of time every single ingredient that's going to go into their wedding flowers because I don't even know um, sometimes. I have, a, I have a good general idea. I talk to my flower farmers all the time and I see what they have available um, and I keep like a little running list in my mind of things that I want for these specific weddings. Um, but a really fun part of the way that I do my business is getting, I'm getting surprised by what my flower farmers have in, in stock. Um, Cause I kind of, my clients give me the freedom and then I give a little bit of that freedom to my flower farmers as well. And I just tell them, this is the color palette. This is the vibe. Surprise me with something really cool and something that maybe I haven't seen before, or I don't know about, or that 
um, is a perennial or something that's not a typical cut flower um, to put in my designs. And that keeps me really excited because uh, I, I like new different things all the time. So yeah, that's what, that's what I like. I think that's very, very different than, you know, for those of you who maybe don't know how that more, like a more traditional florist shop would work for events and designs, you know, they're making recipes uh, because they have to specifically order those flowers might be coming from Holland or Colombia. You know, we've talked about kind of where those imports come from, or, you know, they might be coming from California or Florida, but still a distance away where, you know, if they don't order enough or they order too much, it's cutting into their bottom line uh, or they don't have the product that they need. And so uh, they're making just like you would to, you know, cater an event, they're making these recipes uh, and everything is going to look for the most part, exactly the same for most uh, more traditional florists. And kind of what Kathy is saying is that, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't necessarily know she has a budget, I'm sure. (laughs) And she, she knows, she knows, you know, like she said, she knows that dahlias are going to be in season in September. So her September brides are going to get dahlias. So she could probably pretty confidently say that, but you know, she's, she's getting what she gets and not every bridesmaid's bouquet might look exactly the same. They're all going to go together, but they're not going to be, you know, twins of each other. They're every event is unique. Every event. Are there, are there, are there, sorry. (laughs) What'd you say? I said I couldn't make two of the same thing if I tried. (laughs) (laughs) Are there, are there the marketing months? What are, what are the, what are the, what are like the three best months to, uh, in, for you all, the, for seasonal flowers in Kentucky for, for a, a wedding to have a wedding. If you were going to be like, look, you're going to pick your day based on me and the arrangements that I'm going to do. And I'm going to make you the most spectacular thing. When would you, when would you want me to have, get married? <laughs> in May, my favorite, my most favorite flowers are spring flowers, the cool season, so May is my sweet spot because I still have those early um, cool season flowers like ranunculus, anemones, those kinds of things. Peonies are available in May, which are obviously stunning and show-stopping just on their own. Um, and my flower farmers are so great and they grow so many different colors and shapes and textures. But sometimes... You know, in Kentucky, the weather's so crazy. Sometimes in May, we still have a little bit of early summer flowers too. So mm-hmm. I, I really like that sweet spot where it's not quite, not spring isn't quite over, summer's not quite here, and we get a blend of both. What about you, Sarah? What what you, yeah, you, you got like? an opinion on on the date? Oh yeah. So I, I will back Kathy up on May being in my top three. May is definitely up there. I'm a spring baby. I love spring flowers. Mm-hmm. I think nothing gets me more excited than a peony or an allium um, or a hellebore. Yes. But in terms of abundance of local flowers, definitely September and into October. Um, those are also peak event months as well october it gets a little dicey towards the end because sometimes local flower farmers their fields could be tired or there could be a frost so that does get iffy um september is great because there's just so much available everybody's fields still are producing a lot the days are still really long it's still really warm 
Um, and then October being another peak event month, we're kind of getting into that season of really cool heirloom mums. Um, we're still seeing dahlias at that point. Um, and, you know, at a certain point, we're starting to see larger harvests of people cutting down everything as well. So I would, I would say May, September and October are, are some of my favorite m- months for local flowers. Yeah. So fun, what? fun fact, uh, anemone in Great Britain, they pronounce anemone aluminium. No. And, oh, no, wait. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking of bread. Sorry. Brett. something i was thinking of something. so do you all not i do have a question do, do you all another pressure do you all just not take weddings in the in the winter times we or do. what's the what's the deal with that uh the demand is not as high in november december january february but i still can get some local stuff then i have a I have a cutting garden of my own. Just since I moved into my house, I planted a lot of hardy perennials, things like helibores, a lot of foliage plants. So I can cut from around my own house and from my flower farmers. They have helibores really early or in the winter. They have foliages and stuff. I do some foraging as well to try to get some locally grown and trusting ingredients. Um, And throughout the year, if you could see our studio right now, we have just dried flowers hanging from the ceiling all over. Um, So throughout the year, I'm also saving anything that I'm not using for events and drying those. So even in the winter, I still am using local flowers that have been dried by me and that were grown here. This past Valentine's Day, there were locally grown tulips and anemones available. So shout yeah. out to Free Toads Farm for the local tulips. And then um, Bel Air Blooms had the local anemones for Valentine's Day, which as a florist, the ability to have local flowers, like in the dead of winter, I think that I mm. like the amount of joy I received from that was yes. Was we, insane. We were in here every single day. We got a order delivered or picked up. We would just be in here being like, "Look at this! Look yeah. at it!" And we would just be <laughs> and just running around. Well, like, <laughs> so this February was really exciting for us. It's really like lifts our spirits after a cold winter yeah. um, when not much is growing. So yes, we still can get some local stuff. We have to supplement a lot more with imported, but we don't feel too bad about it because the rest of the year we're using as much local as possible. So why did you all, like, why do you all decide to do local? And I think you've touched on this like a smidge, but, you know, you all came from kind of some traditional florists who, you know, use some local, but did a lot of imports as well. So why was it important for you to, to do as much local buying as you all do? Well, I would say with that, two main things come to mind. One, being a small local business owner, I know how hard it is. And I'm out there trying to support my other fellow local business owners because like we're all, you know, we're paying our bills. Like I want to, I want to give you my money instead (laughs) of the wholesaler, right? Like I want, I want to see you grow. Like we're, we're all eating here. 
so that's one of my big things is just I I love business owners. Mm -hmm. But secondarily to that, and you know, this is a is a huge thing, is just the quality and uniqueness that we receive from local is just completely different from what I can get to the wholesaler. I can walk in the wholesaler and I can buy a bunch of ranunculus that's all going to be the same stem length and the same head length, but it's going to be two weeks old already before it even gets in my hands. And it's going to rot significantly faster than what a bunch of ranunculus from a local grower would be. So like the stem length, stem quality, age, freshness of the flower, they don't even compare one another local always wins i completely agree with that i've never gotten never ever have i gotten a bunch of local anemones or ranunculus where half of them are slimy and rotten and completely trash they've all been inspected by the grower they've cut it and they've given it to me you know when they pull it for my bunches or for my buckets They've, they've laid eyes on that, and it was just a couple days ago that it was cut. Um, it's not, oh, it's been sitting around in a cooler truck or a wholesaler for a couple weeks, and now it has botrytis, and it's slimy and stinky. You know, oh, that's worse. Happen. Yeah, that doesn't happen with local flowers um, ever. So I appreciate that so much. And like Sarah said, the Locally, the colors that we can get um, are way more diverse. There's all of those like in-between colors where it's not pink, it's not mm-hmm. orange, something in the middle. <laughs> can't really get that. It's hard to order that stuff from a wholesaler. Um, and then there's some things like zinnias that you just can't get from a wholesaler. Those have to come locally, so... Yeah, I agree with everything Sarah said. That's there's just no comparison in the quality and the diversity. Do you think your Please. clients? Sorry, but I, I'm I'm excited to know. Like you know, you all have talked about you're selling yourself and your clients, and what kind of client finds you. Do you think that that's part of the reason they come to you? Is that you all talk about, or or, or maybe you maybe you don't market that you use mm-hmm. local or that you do. Do you use that as a marketing technique? Do you think that's why some yeah, some is it your, is clients- it your vibe or is it the yeah. the flowers that are doing you know what's what's <laughs> carrying the water of selling? Do you think? Well, for me, I definitely advertise all every time I'm talking about anything that I'm doing. I'm saying that it's locally grown, or I highlight where. Um, specific flowers came from. I tag my farmers when I can, um, stuff like that. So it's definitely, I definitely think it's a selling point for me. Um, and all of the literature, literature I hand out to my clients when they are first starting their booking process with me, I have a full page about all the growers that I buy from and I link, have links to them so they can get followed too. Awesome. And then, also, a big part of my uh, client base has been vendor referrals. Um, so mm-hmm. Alexis and I send clients to each other. If, I, if I'm booked, I'll send it to her. If she's booked, she'll send it to me. And that happens with Beller Blooms as well. Um, and other sustainably minded 
wedding vendors that I work with, um, that I have a good relationship with, they, if they get a, um, a couple that's like really into local, sustainable, anything like that, they send them to me and they're like, this florist will be a good fit for you. Is, is it more, is it more expensive for you, for the client, for, I mean, what's the, what's the real talk on that? Uh, I think, I think it's actually the opposite. I think, I mean, so our local growers do a great job of, of researching fair market value of flowers yeah. and we want to pay that. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think in the end, it actually is more cost effective to purchase locally because you're not having a larger percentage of loss. Mm-hmm. So just to reiterate, mm-hmm. flowers are significantly more fresh than what I can buy from the wholesaler. Mm-hmm. That there's just less less loss in general. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a huge reason why it's more advantageous. So, so even you, if- oh, sorry. Brent and I are just like competing, Virgo babies for, on competing the same, for your time. Bobbing on the same <laughs> like, Yeah. We are those Virgo look babies. At, look at me. No, no, look at Alexis. Look at me. We're just so excited about um, <laughs> local flowers and having well, some awesome people on the pod. Do you have, so. so do you have clients, uh, customers who they aren't really sure what the local thing is about or they're not, they come to you with certain expectations, but there's yeah, a, that's what element I was curious of trust about. or yeah. an element of yeah. whatever right. conversation. Cause when, when you say you're a wedding planner to me, it's like, or, I mean, a wedding, a wedding florist to me, it's more like you're just like managing people and their expectations and the logistics and the flowers are awesome. And you're amazing at that, but to be able to do all of the creative stuff on, it's the like psychology. on top of all of that managing of the, you know, potential bridezillas i haven't ever seen one in the wild but i've heard that they exist from time to time and maybe you all avoid those but do you what what is that conversation like and I'll, I'll give a little bit more of a primer so kayla was talking about kayla from the kentucky flower market was talking about how in conversations with florists and with customers i think just more generally part of her toolkit is the is the, the idea of palette that you talk about palette rather than specific cuts or specific whatever. Are there other elements that you all see as key to conversations with maybe more traditional customers who aren't the boho local ready type, but are interested in engaging with local flowers? And, and what is that? What are those, what tends to work and, and stick with people? Well, so ultimately your client, in an ideal world, your client's hiring you because you're the expert in your field, right? And so they're relying on you to give them good advice and good guidance. And so that kind of falls back on us to, to be strong in who we are and what we think is best and then guide that back into the client. And so if the client comes at me and say, says that they really want peonies in November, I'm going to say, well, you know, peonies aren't really in season then. And if I were to try and import them, they're going to come in in poor quality likely, and they're going to be super expensive. So instead, I would steer them towards another large prestige heirloom flower that I could hopefully get. So that might be like a dahlia, which that would be more likely in October than November. But ultimately, it, it falls back on us to stand strong in, in what we believe is best and going to be best for them to guide them properly. Um, and you do run into the bridezillas. I mean, anytime you're working with the public, 
wild things come up, you know? So, like, you can't always rein people back in, but most of the time people can understand reason and and do trust you enough to guide them um, into what's going to be best for them, both monetarily-wise and also aesthetic-wise. Yeah. And whenever I'm talking to my clients, some, some people don't know anything about flowers or not passionate about it. They don't know the names of any flowers, um, especially things that are outside the realm of like roses and mums and things you can get that you see at Kroger. Like whenever I'm talking to my clients that don't know a lot about flowers, they get excited because I'm so excited about the local flowers. Like I'm telling them about all the cool stuff that we can get um, and how things smell really good, which is part of the imported flowers. A lot of those have the smells have been bred out of them because that's not as important as like longevity shipping um, think yeah as if they get shipped well um, so local flowers smell better and I can tell them about all the pretty colors and different varieties and just interesting things um, that they have probably not seen before and I just I get really riled up about it and so I think that instills some confidence in my clients as well to know that even if they're not 100% sure of every single ingredient that's going in, um, they know it's going to be a really nice quality, fresh, local, beautiful. And I haven't run into any problems. Almost all my clients are completely cool with that and um, really trust me to make their wedding flowers for for them. And in their, in their color palette, like we said, I really focus on on that instead of specific ingredients. And that's, that's been okay for us. So to follow up on that same thing. So on the flip side, so you, you all are florists who are on board with the local and it's a part, it seems to be a part of the the businesses that you've built and the the message and the branding and the identity that you've built, which I think is, is awesome and great. You know, one of the challenges or one of the things that I'm curious about your perspective on is you know, the Kayla and other flower, uh, anybody who's growing or trying to sell flowers to a florist is going to, going to come across, I think 10 people who aren't on board with the local yet for every one of you, maybe it's more than 10. Do you have, do you have any ideas? Like as we think about growing a flower market in Kentucky and continuing to expand it to the, to the folks who aren't already, you know, on board like you, what are some of the key messages or key, uh, is there a gateway flower or a gateway time of year to get them hooked on the more local sourcing? Is there, I mean, what's the, what do you all think about that as, you know, essentially your, your peers who are doing things differently, what do you, and, and having had experience in that, in that market? Well, so Sometimes I think that there, for me, it was almost out of necessity that I really started to dive into local. When I was working in a very traditional brick and mortar shop, we bought mostly from the wholesaler. And that's because that was just the system that was already in place. Right. And so in a sense, like I was so used to writing my wedding orders with recipes of X amount of roses, X amount of spray roses, and then placing that order with one broker and receiving that order. And so that was a system that was working, right? And sometimes when you're overwhelmed, 
you just have a lot going on, you, it's hard to rip up that system. So when the pandemic mm -hmm. first hit, it really made flower sourcing difficult. Mm -hmm. Like the wholesalers, everything shut down there for a minute. And so there really, there was a great demand for flowers at that time. And florists were super busy, but the wholesalers were almost carrying nothing. And so at that phase is when I personally really started to shift into sourcing local because I could text my local growers and say, hey, what do you have this week? And then get on their mm -hmm. schedule. And so that was kind of my, my gateway in particular in terms of shifting how I operated my existing system, which I know that didn't really answer your question, but that was the answer that I had. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Makes it so easy um, for florists too. And I'm, I'm not a huge, you know, I'm not placing my orders a month out. I'm more of a last minute girl. So being, being able to like, look at K, uh, Kentucky flower markets online shop and order from there has been so awesome. In addition to just being able to text my flower farmers, I have three or four on rotation and I can just text them the, that week or the week before. Um, and get my orders in, which has been so awesome. And having our studio kind of in a central location and Sarah and I share this space. Um, and so our flower farmers have one location to drop, drop our orders off at. Um, and that has just made everything very simple and easy for florists that want to order more flowers locally or I'm not sure how I think the best way is just like be friends with your flower farmer <laughs> the best and easiest way because then having a relationship with them they like I know when I order from Alexis she knows what I like she knows what makes me really excited and everything I get from her is like exactly what I want, even if I didn't even know what that's what I wanted. <laughs> so, uh, I think that is like the best advice. Um, I know some florists are traditional florists are more stubborn and are scared of the bugs that come in with local flowers and things like that. I'm not scared of bugs, so it's not my and not, not a problem for me, but at think, least it's not like some crazy jungle spider or weird frog though coming <laughs> from South bugs. America. There's some gross, like invisible poison any day. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> and Yeah, that's that's the other thing. It's most of your flower growers are are no spray or low spray uh in Kentucky and so you're much safer handling that product. And I think, I think more and more florists are becoming kind of aware of that. Like when you receive a, you know, a dozen roses or 25 roses and they're covered in like a white something. And you're like, what is this that I'm going to have my hands touching for the next 48 hours, you know? And, you know, in theory, it's quote unquote safe and has been approved, but you know, use your own logic there. <laughs> Versus something that, and, and then the, and the quality and there's just stuff that you can't get, you know, like you can't get a Cosmo at a wholesaler and you can't get, you can get a Dahlia from a wholesaler, but how many times have you, you had, <laughs> you, yeah, you, you've probably, have you ever had good Dahlias come from a wholesaler? 
Never once. <laughs> they will always let you down. Like, like I'm not yeah. pick, I'm trying not to pick too much on the wholesalers because there is definitely a, a place and you know, you all still have a business 12 months out of the year. And just because it's not the growing season doesn't mean you don't have to make your own income. So there is a time and a place for it. But well, so, and- you know, I'm not throwing shade, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And well, like, I don't want to throw shade on the wholesaler either too, no. because that like, if I break it down, ultimately the wholesaler probably gets maybe 50% of my business as well. So I do mix it up because my business structure is Kathy has really structured her business around being local as much as possible. And mine, I do emphasize local, but I also, a lot of my clientele really wants like the fluffy garden roses and things that are just really challenging to grow in Kentucky for our growers Mm -hmm. at a larger scale. And, you know, if, if I'm doing a wedding and I need 300 roses, I don't, that's not an option to source that locally. So, you know, the wholesaler, it's a great resource. I love that it's there, but it doesn't get me nearly as excited as talking to Alexis. To me, it's sort of like going to a farmer's market, but you also often have to go to Kroger or Walmart or or Aldi's or wherever. Like, but you go to the farmer's market first to see how much you can get and buy locally. And then, you know, if you, and then you go supplement those things that like, you, you really like bananas. And in theory, you got to have bananas. In my house, we have to have bananas. So I can't get those at the farmer's market. So I'm okay buying them because I did, you know, support local first. But are they, ever, kinda, in, are they ever in pajamas or is it usually not bananas. that kind of stuff? Yeah, nice. Yeah. Why are you the way you are? <laughs> is it you sound, pajamas? You sound like my mother. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Started at an early age. <laughs> I did. I did have a joke that I was not able to shoehorn in earlier. I'll, I'll just tell now, out of context. <laughs> oh, Excellent. please! It's not really, it's not really yes. a joke so much as a. You'd say like, uh, "Please, my father is Mister Tritus. Call me Bo." Oh my goodness! Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. I wonder why you couldn't shoehorn that one in. <laughs> you said the yeah. earlier, and then Jane. Alexis had to ask some insightful question like a fool. How dare like, I? Are we? What are we here for? Wow. Are we here to? I'm here yeah. to be the fun guy. And you messed it up. I'm here yeah. to workshop Brett's bits. <laughs> well, I, I'm seeing. I see a lot of parallels with the the local flower stuff, with like the local, just local foods in general. That mm-hmm. there are some establishments that are really. I mean, they they are about producing a meal, but they're really more about producing the commodity or the concept of the meal and the customer service environment Context and experience and experience yeah. and the same way there it's like this isn't they aren't necessarily yes they are florists who are providing flowers but they're really providing this concept of like how the flowers fit within a commodity system about you know this is what we do when somebody has a funeral or this is what we do when somebody has a wedding and so when you're t- when you talk about local food or like questioning anything other than the stuff coming off the cisco truck it becomes a whole other enterprise with like layers of consideration that some people, some businesses are just never going to want to get to that level of complexity. They want the commodity. And, you know, Sarah, your comment about COVID and the, the effects that that had, it was the same way in, in the food world that we had these major disruptions because that whole commodity system and the concept of like being able to think of a tomato as a product, an industrial product without 
agricultural implications <laughs> is dependent on a very long and and we have found out fairly vulnerable supply chain and, and seems seems similar with the flower thing and so that I'm just curious if if we don't have to have a pandemic to push people in the direction of of <laughs> doing this kind of thing and could have even more like more subtle cues but in some cases maybe it's not maybe it really is just a waiting for the disruptions to kind of guide some of that uh, decision making and until then it's just the the bohos and the cuties uh, out there <laughs> the, um, the younger generation of florists are a little more flexible with the new the new trend of ordering flowers locally and maybe using more sustainable practices things like that because a lot of a lot of traditional florists, do what they do and that's how they're going to do it until the end, you know, like mm-hmm. that's, that's how they've always done it. And they are, they still call their wholesaler and like to talk yeah. on the phone. <laughs> All the millennials listening are like cringing talk at the, the idea phone. of what? talking on the phone. What? Just text me. <laughs> Just no. Text me. Well, and Send me an email. Tradework and artistry in a sense as well, because like if you're in a trade um, and not, and I'm not, wanting to throw shade on any florists and degrade their artistry because they purchase from a wholesaler. I do the same thing. But if you're in your, if you're stuck in your ways and you're not willing to try something new, then in a sense, you're kind of just regurgitating what you've always done, right? You're doing what is comfortable. You're doing what you know, right? So in the way that like an electrician wires a house, you are creating happy birthday arrangements and funeral arrangements and knocking out these white weddings and things like that. But I think that there's that spark of passion that you can see in Kathy's eyes when she's talking about local flowers. And you can also see it in her designs as well, too. Like the the inspiration behind it and the desire to create something that's new and unique, that's different. And so when I think of modern day floristry, I don't necessarily, it is a trade, but I also see it as an opportunity to market yourself as an artist, just like a tattoo artist would in modern day. Mm. That's a really good comparison. Can you hear the ping that's on my computer? I don't know how to turn it off. I'm sorry. (laughs) I thought it was my computer this whole time. And then I was like, I have headphones on, so surely nobody else is hearing (laughs) that. (laughs) Group chat. And that's what there's a group chat (laughs) i really don't know how to turn it off i'm just i silenced it on my orders are coming in now that's okay you're just that's how popular your all's floristry is is that flower farmers and customers are just texting you left and right and they're like we need those local flowers and you make them beautiful Well, hopefully y'all know how to edit awesome. that. Awesome. All right. Well, any f- any further burning questions or anything that you guys would like to say? Um, you know, whether it's to the farmer. You know, we've got kind of a ver- from what we can tell, we have a variety of of listeners that are going to be either the growers or the consumers of of what is grown. So, if you have any any words of wisdom you'd like to share, and if not, that's okay. Brett, I'm sure we'll come up with something. <laughs> um- I think I just want to take a moment to like fangirl on Kentucky flower market because um, it from the perspective of a florist wanting to purchase local, I had to keep my local vendor list really small 
because I only have so much bandwidth in one day and I max out on how many text conversations I can have. And so prior to Kentucky Flower Market, I was really only purchasing from about three or four local growers. But this past week, I placed an order with Kentucky Flower Market and I think I had seven different flower farmers. And it was, I went online while I was doing something else, placed my order, and then it was delivered to my studio on Wednesday. And I was like, wow, that couldn't be easier. Couldn't be easy. <laughs> Support local. Yeah. And it was beautiful and streamlined and easy. And so I think with getting florists to start purchasing locally, having that broker system of Kentucky Flower Market or that co-op system is extremely helpful. It's a little bit more like what they're used to, just not as far in advance as they're used to, but it's like bridging that gap between what's what they've always done and what's coming and what's new. So yeah. Awesome. Well, we're, we're so glad Kayla was an awesome guest and you all know Kayla. Can, so I, you can know I ask that. like a, a little bit of a fluff, but nice question? <laughs> yeah, no. I guess. So is there is there one flower or a particular flower that since you have become florists, your appreciation for that flower has grown particularly? Yeah, a lot. Um, tulips. Like, like ones that you didn't used to love as much and then now you're like, oh, okay, I get it. I never loved tulips, carnations, like the little French ones, marigolds, I never batted an eye out before and now I love them mums wasn't a fan of mums before but now I love them um I don't know there's a lot yeah there's so many so you had a little bit of like a like basic bias it seems like yeah (laughs) right I mean or like kind of like rustic rural bias or something yes yeah (laughs) love that well my nose at any carnation but now there's so many I guess I didn't realize the different colors and sizes and everything there's just you know when things are in the grocery store the the scent is gone the leaves are stripped everything is just really feels really mass produced and just not exciting and I'm very excitable with the, the with the new different colors um just anything anything that I haven't seen before I'm immediately like obsessed with so watching Kathy get like some new flower or just a flower that she hasn't seen in a full year or something is like the most it's like it's like watching a small child like discover ice cream for the first time or something like it's it's (laughs) she's so excited and like even if it's something that she she's known before she hasn't seen it in a year and she just like puts her whole face into it (laughs) And she sits it. there and smells it. It's it's ador- It's the well. And and from a grower standpoint, nothing makes you feel better than having a having a florist, especially florists as talented and as Sarah and Kathy are. Just go gaga over something that you grew with your to- two hands. It's very rewarding. I'm very grateful for people who are willing to express joy so freely because I think it makes other people feel comfortable expressing and feeling joy too. So I appreciate that a lot. Good. We have a lot of joy over flowers in yeah. this space. Yeah. Sarah, have you have you come around on particular particular uh, flowers, or yeah. or just grown? Yeah. So I would say calla lilies, especially. I I used to just like loathe 
there are some growers who are starting to do those locally, which is awesome. Let's see. I also really like scabiosa, especially yeah. local scabiosa, just for the ability to get the luscious buds on them. Um, again, like what I can purchase from the wholesaler for scabiosa versus locally grown is just, they're not even comparable. The big thing that this might also make Kathy really excited is stock yes. or Mathiola, like local Favorite. stock. Oh when God. it walks in the shop, <laughs> Kathy loses it. Yeah. Like every year, she's just like, you smell it. Have you looked at this? Because, you know, again, like <laughs> stock from um, the wholesaler is just usually rotten before you even get it out of the door. There's mm -hmm. petals that you have to take off or the foliage is starting to yellow. Um, but then when we get our local stock or even our local snapdragons, um, mm -hmm. you know, we end up with these thick stems and these like chunky masses of flowers where we're used to purchasing these kind of like sometimes rotten, sometimes like really flimsy, broken stems that already are kind of bruised. And, and it's just like, wow. Oh. <laughs> so. And if you've never smelled local stock, it smells like clove is the best way I know how to describe it. Better. And yeah, it's hmm. like spicy and delicious. Hmm. <laughs> awesome. I just, well, all I heard was Hermione Granger. It's scabiosa, not scabiosa. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that was a good one i'll give that one to you thank that's you cool. i'm just trying to reach out you know? <laughs> you're welcome well, oh, did, you, did, did we give them a chance to plug or are you gonna do that now i'm sorry that's, that's, yep yep okay brett i got this <laughs> like how many episodes in are we he's just so excited I don't know. when we have guests i just lose it i just lose the thread <laughs> he, does. he loses all sense just get so excited anyways Kathy, tell us uh, how tell us and our followers how to follow you or you know and see the beautiful things that you post about. Yeah, um, again, my business name it's a little hard to pronounce. My I'm pretty sure my dad still cannot say it even after being in business for like six years. He just kind of mumbles his way through. Um, but it's ephemeral florals. And my handle on Instagram, that's where I post the most, is ephemeral florals KY, all one word. If you go to my Instagram, there's links to my Pinterest, my website, which if you are an inquiring bride or groom or couple, that's where you can submit an inquiry and go to my straight into my booking process through that. Um, I'm on Pinterest and TikTok and all of those things too. But Instagram is where um, you'll see the most up-to-date, like all the pretty pictures, which is what counts. So, <laughs> And Sarah, where can we find you? So you can find me on Instagram and Facebook. My Instagram is Drury Floral. Um, and that's the name of my business. So Drury is like where the Muffin Man lives on Drury Lane. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I know the muffin man. Yeah, yeah. Brett's trying to suppress an impersonation here. Yeah. <laughs> so 
that's my last name. I decided to keep it classic and, and name my business after that, even though it is also a really hard word to say. Especially Why do we do that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, let's make it very impossible. Yeah. Well, it's memorable. R- Think of it that rural way. Rural juror. Memorable. <laughs> we will put uh we will put this in the show notes so if you guys are, are driving don't be on your phone looking at instagram we'll, we'll pull over in right now and follow pull over them. right now and follow them <laughs> so we will put that in the show notes where you can uh, find it and follow them when you are uh, not moving at a quick pace you can also follow us on instagram at hort culture pod and you can also send us an email if you'd like to just tell us what you think. Hortculturepodcasts at l.uky.edu. Please feel free to also leave us a review if you loved our guests. Just, you know, comment that you loved our guests. Uh, and that helps more people find us. You can just be like, uh, Sarah and Kathy, true MVPs in the, in the review. And we will, we will share that with them. <laughs> And we are so grateful that we had you guys on today. Uh, so thank you for, I know you all are very busy as yeah, thank small you business much. owners who run your business all by yourself. Uh, so we really appreciate this hour that you have uh, spent with us today. And I think that's about it. Anybody in from the peanut gallery? Okay. Well, then we hope as we grow this podcast, you will grow with us. Uh, join us next week and we'll talk about more awesome, fun plant things. So thank you all so much and have a great one.